it probably more hastened my desire to climb out of this hole and the way I saw that I'd climbed out of the hole was to succeed on on the world stage and in my goals and I just wanted to get there bloody fast and I realized well I felt it more than I thought it I could just feel myself moving faster and it really came as I got lighter and moved more freely over the ground and it was you know it's like this knife edge point where on one side it's positive and go too far and down you go and I just kept taking it too far and too far and too far and pushing myself too far but it was just after a while it just became what you knew and you didn't you almost get to the point where you don't know what's normal anymore and sadly you're surrounded by this culture in Australia of a lot of underweight runners um, in that road environment and no one was normal no one ate healthily there was it was so hard to find a positive role model and I think we're all on the knife edge. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to part two of our conversation with Honey Alston. I hope you really enjoyed the insights from Honey so far. Our conversation covered so much and I really didn't want to leave anything out, but because the episode was so long, I decided to make our conversation two parts. So this is episode two of my podcast, Conversation with Honey Austin. I hope you enjoy. Before we begin, a message from this week's sponsor, Physiocram Massage Gel. Physiocram has been helping Running Mums Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and Physiocram has our back. To get your own Physiocram, head to www.physiocram.com.au. Don't forget, if you're a member of the member program, you can get 20% off with your member code. You can also find Physiocram at your local pharmacy. Do you think that that's changing now or do you think that there's still so much work to be done in regards of um look I think the seeds of change are there now and I think there are a few role models who I'm so grateful for um Jess Churngrove always comes to mind I just think she has just been just a gift of golden light to athletics in Australia and I'm going to focus on athletics at the moment because it it really was just so so confronting um but sadly many of the people who express such vocal opinions are still in very powerful roles and um i think until we get a bit more of a cultural shift in the management of high performance and in the coaching environment of high performance then i don't i don't know if we're sort of there yet i think we're on the pathway um yeah and I guess it's one thing that really motivates me as a coach now in my you know my small role in coaching but in the trail and ultra environment is to bring a new way of coaching where it's not about benchmarking your performances it's not based on time it's not based on kilometers achieved but it's based more on feel and more on um <laughs> timing the legs out there <laughs> and experiential um, so that you were not always judging ourselves against ourselves or against other people or against the norms and the societal expectations. Um, mm. so, yeah. 
Yeah, it is a beautiful way of coaching that I've seen. You know, I've followed some of your training plans in the past and lots of people I know do. And I love the way that you approach coaching, honey. Mm -hmm. I think it's refreshing. I really do. I've been with coaches that were totally the opposite to that. Mm -hmm. And I may have been getting really great results, but I was really, really unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so, you know, I've, I think through all of this journey, I've come to realize my motto in life, you know, the thing that I live by is grow wilder, play wilder, perform wilder. And I, I always visualize a pyramid when I say that of three tiers, mm-hmm. um, where grow wild is absolutely the biggest foundation you need to have. And the grow wilder phase is about really working on self, learning self. What are your values? What drives you? What archetypes make you up? Like who is Hanny when she's not any of those archetypes? Take them all away and what are you left with? And coming to really understand those seeds and unapologetically so. And then grow up. The play wilder is about what do you love doing? Not what your friend does, not what you grew up doing, not what mum and dad think you should do, but what do you love and then do that unapologetically. And I think only when you get the first two foundations right, then you will probably naturally fall onto the perform, the perform wilder part of the pathway because that's where you learn the art of performance in your chosen gifts and loves. So, you know, if we take running as an example, it's where you begin to learn more about detail in training or the nutrition hydration or the racing elements or the mindset for performance but I think so many of us kind of go straight to there set a big goal go straight to there and sort of forget about the bottom and then when the rumbles happen like a COVID or an injury you can if you're not careful feel like your world suddenly gets pulled apart and you're suddenly left scrabbling and trying to put the pieces back together or you know um you know, feeling lost because the race is no longer there. And, you know, whereas I think the true champions of the, like people say, you know, you're a world champion. I I wish I could reframe it somehow. Like I won a world level race. I Was I a world champion? No, because I see a champion as someone who continually performs, continually is strong, continually shines bright, you know, as a role model and, I don't think I did that in sport, um, particularly in my orienteering, because the Grow Wild foundations weren't there. I didn't, I was so shaky of self. I was only focused on performance and I didn't really know who I was, what I was setting out to do in life and what made me happy. I was pursuing what I thought would make me happy or what I thought the world expected of me. And so, you know, I think, I know one of your questions for me, because we discussed it earlier, was about going back to race Tarawira. It was more, um, so that was something, it was a, I stood on the start line of the 100k race at Tarawira in New Zealand in February, because I was curious to know, would would it feel different to be competitive now with a stronger sense of self, with my foundations down packed and knowing what I love and I, unapologetically loved running on trails through wild landscapes. Um, Did it feel different? Yes. Did it feel right? No. Mm. And I just realized it's because one of my archetypes is not a competitive runner. (laughs) Mm. I'm a runner, but um, I express myself 
you know, differently. I, I'm a wild runner <laughs> and very different. And I realized that in that race and there was no wrong, there was no shame for me in stopping at 65K because I was completely cooked and completely done. Mm-hmm. Um, mentally frazzled because it was just not for me. But I guess I, I, I you know, monologue mode, but I want to really enforce and help people to understand the absolute importance of doing what you love and chasing it unapologetically. Because when you do, you will be your best version of you. You will have all the love and energy to give others in the world. Um, I think I always say to people like, look after number one, number one, you know, all the others will come later. (laughs) So I really like, that's why I asked you that question because I think you really found yourself in that moment at Tarawera when you realized that it wasn't for you Mm. on that start line and that that had to come throughout you know that had to come it's not the end because this isn't the end of the journey but I guess the end of that part of your journey where Mm. you actually really had found out who you were and and that maybe that once was part of who you were was a competitor even though you say you didn't love it you love just being on the trails and running. You didn't love that competition. And so, and that's okay. That's I, okay. Yeah. I was a fierce competitor, but because I was driven to um, understand where I could get to. Um, yeah. And I was also very driven to succeed in expectations. So, you know, the, I had a motivation to race. I had a motivation that drove me to do the training, to you know, go through the pain cave and out the other side and keep going. Whereas at Tarawira, I just didn't. That what that's not the fire that lights my belly now, like mm-hmm. you say. And mm-hmm. I had to go to Tarawira. I really did because I had to answer that question. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have moved forward again and taken more steps forward if I haven't answered the question, should I still race or not? Is that still a part of me or not? I now know it's not. It's not that I don't believe in races. I, I never want to think people think that I've turned my back on them or will um, look down on anyone I coach who wants to race. It's not about that. It's just, I know who I am now. And that's, that's the blessing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, yeah. everyone's journey's changed too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's different seasons. I was talking to this, uh, talking about this with Jess on our last podcast <clears throat> that there's different seasons in life and it takes you on different journeys. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it brings you, you know, look at us talking like in, into, um, you know, relationship with different people and, and then that takes you on a different journey. Like who knows where my road is going to lead in the next 12 months. It could be in a totally different direction that I would never have thought was going to happen. And the same with you. I mean, obviously your, your direction <laughs> is going to be changing in the next, you know, six months. Um, becoming a mother for the first time but I think as you get older too you become a bit more comfortable with yourself and you you draw on those lessons from the past that you've learned to be able to I help ground you in the present of where you are and I found that in my own running journey like when I started running and you know just I mean I've run all my life I've done it since I was a child and my childhood was running around my streets and in the trails I'm in my own suburb and now when I look back I kind of think I've come full circle like Mm -hmm. I'm back doing what I love then but when I started 
running as an adult, because I'd had some time off, um, it was all about just doing races, getting quicker, getting faster, but I didn't have that joy like I do now, where in, and particularly over the last probably two years, it's taken time to realize who I am as, as a runner. I'm not a competitor. I do like to race. And I even said that yesterday on my social media, like I had the first race of the year, basically for me because of COVID yesterday, I love to race, not because of, you know, how fast I can go. I just love the feeling that it gives me to be able to push my boundaries. But do I love racing an event over just going out and running on my trail? No, I prefer to just get out and run on my trail because I feel so much freer. I do it because I love it. There's no expectations. It's just me, my footsteps, and it's what brings me joy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's different seasons in life. And that's something that um, probably 10 years ago, I wasn't able to do as much because I had little tiny kids and I was, you know, trying to wrangle three children, like, and I didn't get, have as much time to be able to go and actually immerse myself in the trails. And so, yeah, a different seasons in, in life come, different ebbs and flows, you know, and completely hear that. Yeah. I completely hear that. I, I just think that the bit that can hold you, well, I think, you know, it'd be interesting as I go through a huge transition, like you say, you know, in April next year, even in the next few months as I, my physically, I sort of reach a few more limitations. But um, I think, you know, what holds us strong are our values. Mm. Um, I think that the huge curveball of COVID that came our way this year really reinforced that belief for me. Um, mm. But as hard as it was, as bankrupt as we were for a period of time there trying to keep the tourism and retail business that relied on people being able to get out and play um, alive was just this really strong sense of values and who an understanding of who you are as self. So I think it really reinforced that. I just think that even as we go through seasons, like our values can be the bit that can hold us steady. Um, one thing that you said about, you know, you race because you love to like feel that sense of pushing yourself or like um striving that little bit beyond i guess that's what motivates me with my missions um i call them missions so they're, they're like have a dream can i do that is that at all possible toes tingle for a long time and then suddenly you just suddenly find yourself out there having a go at it um that's what i call a mission and i guess what i've what's allowed probably helped me through the transition from race to that side of me is that the element of them whilst you might not be racing someone and pushing yourself quite so much physically the element of a mission that pushes me well outside my comfort zone is that you often have no boundary of realism it's like when you enter a race i guess you <laughs> have thankfully handed over part of the task to the organizer is like is this doable you know is this realistic at all um, so I guess like for me that shift has just happened a little bit away from purely being physically testing myself to being more like testing myself a little bit more holistically in some sense of like 
mental resilience, emotional resilience, skillfulness, physical fitness, <laughs> you know, um, knowledge of landscape, sense, sense of trust in self, I guess, out there doing things. So I just wanted to say that because I think going into motherhood, probably one of the only thoughts that I've had about um, everything is not so much about keeping my fitness there or, you know, <laughs> um, my training going or anything. It's just more about making sure that at moments in time, I can have that feeling of challenging myself just for me. Um, and I'm very grateful that my husband completely recognises that in me and I recognise it in him. So it's going to be a reciprocal, you know, yeah. I'll pat your back, you pat mine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the mission, I really love the mission um, focus that you have. And that's something that's actually been on my radar as my my journey with trail running is, is especially has evolved over the last few years is that I'm no longer really, I guess, so fixated on races as such as what, what else could I do to really feel that desire for me to get out and be wilder. Mm. Um, and one of the things I would love to do is plan a mission. Like, you know, I don't know what that's going to be yet. Maybe we can chat, <laughs> but like to do something, um, that's almost a little bit out of my comfort zone. Cause I think that's what I'm desiring now is I, is I'm looking for something that's a little bit out of my comfort zone that I can, you know, be all in planning, um, you know, working towards and achieving, but it's not set by the parameters of some race. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I know it's something I want to do. One thing I'd say is don't look, but feel. Mm. Um, I think you know I, I was we just hosted a camp last week and I was saying to the crew there that um, dreams and goals are really different and I think a lot of people go straight I get this all the time as a coach like I, I need a goal because I want something to focus on I want something to keep me motivated or to give me the um, permission almost to like create space in my world particularly for mums and dads it's, it's a big part of why people race is like it gives me the excuse that I can carve that time out for me. Mm. Um, whereas dreams, so goals, go back to it. Goals to me are smart, measurable, you know, achievable, realistic, and have a time frame. Um, so, you know, for me at the moment, a goal is to maintain my strength so that when I'm carrying my little one around, I feel strong and healthy. So that's a goal. It's realistic, it's measurable, it's achievable. Um, that has a time frame. A dream is something that you're, it, it'll stumble on you when you least expect it. Mm. So the Pyrenees, for example, the dream, I, so last year I was very fortunate at a very, on a whim basis, was able to run the full length of the French Pyrenees Mountains from the Atlantic to the Mediterranean. So it's a distance of somewhere towards 900 kilometers um, with about 45,000 meters of vertical. And I only had three weeks. I had done zero planning. I did not know whether three weeks was realistic at all. It was all that I could get leave um, away from life back here in Australia. And so that was sort of became the mission. But the seed for that came on a tour. We were running the year earlier on a trail and saw this little GR10 marker. And my husband said to me, oh, GR10, do you know what that is? And I was like, no, no idea. And he goes, oh, I've read about it. It's this trail that goes from the Atlantic to the Mediterranean, I think. And 
I think there's one on the Spanish side. It was just all these really like loose conversation. And I was like, huh. I said, <laughs> um, and we were on this be- beautiful, beautiful section of the trail, like smooth, grassy mountains, think like sound of, um, sound of music. Mm. And I was like, God, imagine doing that. It was just, it was just that. It was, a, and then it was like later that night, we, we always share a highlight of the day when we're in bed or eating dinner and he's like what was your highlight of the day and I was like oh that bit of trail and I was like do you reckon it'd be possible to run it like how how long would it or maybe walk it like how long would it take you know neither of us had a clue Graham was like oh I don't know I mean I guess people probably take you know a month or something so it, it was just this loose no research no anything a month or so right so that set the you know, the dream, the time frame, this rough sort of thing. And it, it gnawed at me. It gnawed at me when we were there. I kept, like, looking out, where's that GR10 marker, you know. And then when we got home, it just gnawed at me. And then I broke my foot in December. And that was when I said, I need a goal. Now I need a goal to be answerable to, to ensure that I don't go crazy in this rehab process and I do the right things because otherwise I know me, I'm going to end up in four weeks time thinking a two hour runs a fabulous idea and I'll end up back at square one. So I set the goal of running the GR10. I still hadn't done the homework, but Graham's loose, like you need about a month meant. I look, where can I get about a month? Oh, I can get three weeks here. Should I book flights, Graham? Should we do it? Yeah, let's do it. Book the flights, locked it in still in like week one or two of like recovering from the broken foot. So that, I guess I raise it because it's so different to have this gnawing thing that you go out the door and you, you just find yourself romping up a mountain because the dream in you is like, I remember that it's going to be bloody hilly. So run more hills. You're not there like setting intervals and you that comes later if you want it to, but the dream is just this, it gets you out of bed or you come home, you find yourself wanting to eat better, look after yourself better, like start reading up a bit, you know, and it just, it builds, it builds, it builds. Um, it's so different and so motivating. <laughs> Are you going to go back? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're no, talking about it. <laughs> Yeah, so we have like a list now in the fridge and it's called Kiddo's Bucket List. And it's just like, again, it's when we're out in these unexpected places and it was like, oh, oh yeah, we could come back here with Kiddo and we could, we could do it like, we could, we could do this, we could try this. And so, yeah, one of the ones on the bucket list is to go back to the GR11, which is the Spanish side. And found out later it's actually a lot flatter and a lot, it stays a lot higher, whereas the French side just goes up and down, up and down yeah. like um it's so hilly and and go with kiddo maybe a camper van and take it in turns like doing oh, I could be I could be like the <laughs> take along nanny <laughs> but yeah dreams are just you know that it's funny too because dreams are the sort of thing that you might might come to you you know 10 years before it actually happens and one day you'll just suddenly go oh my god like I remember like having this dream like ages ago and I'm actually like randomly out here now doing it because it, it's such a subconscious gnawing that just yeah 
chews at you. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is I'm just always yearning for more adventure. That's what I feel. I feel like there's so much more I can see. Mm. That's what I love most about trail running myself is what I can see and just the experiences I can have with others. Yeah. That's why I do it. I mean, obviously I get that feeling inside and the joy that it brings me for myself, but what I can see, where I can go, the places and the people is what keeps me lacing up. And yeah, I hear that. And I'd love to just share one more thing about the Pyrenees because it rocks my socks, this lesson that I had out there. But when I set out, um, because it, it, it just to, to finish the story, but it manifested that my foot wasn't getting better. Mm-hmm. And I didn't actually, wasn't able to start running till mid-April. And this leave was booked for the end of June. And um, so, and we had two tours, one in, one in Italy and then one in Albania. Um, booked right before this three-week buffer that we'd created for ourselves. And we we were like constantly going, oh, what should we do? And we've got that three weeks in Europe. What are we going to do? Do we hire a campaign? Do we go to Italy? Do we like... And nothing felt right because nothing was the dream. Nothing was gnawing at us in the same way that this like dream was. And then as it transpired, by the end of my time in Albania, the foot felt great, felt really good. And so with two days to go, I was like, Graham, do you reckon we should just go and do it? Like we had nothing. We like, I had I'd had one, taken one pair of running shoes to Europe and they were completely trashed from the Albanian landscape. And so I didn't even have a pair of shoes. We didn't have any sports nutrition left. We were like scrounging stuff off the guests before they went home and like were so underprepared. And then we thought that we could do it fast pack style. So we left all our luggage in an airport hotel in Italy to fly to the start of the trail with only what we could fit in a vest pack, these sort of bigger, awkward vest packs. And Graham was going to do it with me and we were going to take three weeks. We were going to do the whole thing, you know, we were going to do the whole thing ourselves, you know, just with all we could carry on our backs. And we got one day in and just total humble pie moment. Like this is not realistic. So we backtracked. Graham decided that he would much rather be my support crew and we'd hire a little car and he dropped me off. And we'd run around and we would, you know, and he would run bits of it with me, but we would sort of yo-yo down. And, um, but it meant that I had to buy shoes, um, somehow managed to find one pair of shoes in my size in Spain and ran in them. They were S-Lab minimal racing flats that are meant for like short haul racing. And I ran the entire length of Pyrenees in them. Um, I had to buy a new vest pack. Like we ate lollies and cheese sandwiches because we had no sports nutrition and we were just doing the best to get the nutrition and the salt. Like it was just, it was so comical. You'd open the back of the van, I'm sorry, the little hatchback and there'd be like two vest packs side by side. That was all we had with us like for, you know, this three week epic. But it was like, it was so perfect. But I I guess I tell the story because I started the journey out (laughs) um, thinking it was very much a physical challenge. It was like physically, I was leaning in, I was on warrior mode, I was gritting my teeth, it was stinking hot. We had three heat waves came through and it was like just, you know, I can do this. And then humble pie again. And I got about three days in and it totally switched to mental mode. was like, holy moly, this is big, this is hot, this is hilly. How am I going to do it? What am I going to do? Like, you know, it was very, I was all in my head, really in my head and, I'd go to bed and I'd be thinking, thinking, thinking. I couldn't turn my head off. And then I got 
probably I was about one week in and it became this super emotional roller coaster. It was like every emotion under the sun, but the biggest emotion I had was guilt. Um, but Graham and I, after our wedding, we hadn't, didn't have the luxury for a honeymoon. And um, so we barely had a honeymoon. And here we were with our first three week ever break together in Europe um, without guests. And I was solo running down the Pyrenees and making him drive like huge distances to, to help me do it. And I, I was so guilty and we were spending a lot of money because we were so unorganized, you know, with accommodation and stuff. And so um, there was a lot of tears. There was a lot of sadness. There was a lot of hype and excitement at the good times, but it was emotional. And then I finally came out the other side of that with about a week to go, at which point I'd broken my phone in a thunderstorm. So I had no phone, no maps, because that was the only map I had. So I was running on map memory um, out there, completely unanswerable, uncontactable. You know, I couldn't reach anyone if I wanted to unless I found someone with a phone. So I was totally in trust mode with self. But I entered what I now call like a spiritual mode where the world went quiet. <laughs> like physically my body was in total harmony with what I was doing in the landscape I was in. My mind was so quiet, you know, so quiet and no thoughts. And I'd get back at the end of the day and just feel like quiet in my head. My emotions just felt calm. I felt like I could tune in and tune out when I needed to. And we were just in joy mode. Like at the end of the day, it was just this sort of sense of bliss, <laughs> euphoria without the highs, the height and the lows. And then when I got to the finish, I dreamt about it for weeks by that point, but I first saw the ocean, I'm running down to the ocean and I'm running through the town and I, I was almost willing myself to feel emotional because I wasn't feeling anything. Like I was like, surely I'll cry, you know, surely I will cry. Um, and, and then, yeah, it, just, it was just crazy. And, and I got to the coast and I sat down on the rocks because I thought it was going to be sandy and it was rocky and I just sat on the rocks. And I felt nothing. And, and I now realise, like, that's why adventurers do what they do or why people enter ultra races because you actually go through those, that four planes. I think you go physically to mentally to emotionally. Only then can you reach that spiritual plane. And it will only happen, I think, when you're doing what you're truly meant to be doing mm. and you're doing it with absolute unapologetic pursuit. And, um, yeah, and I think that is, that is the seed that keeps pulling us back to do things time and time again. And so, yeah, it it's just was such a highlight of learning for me. And it's definitely, um, I felt it once since doing something in Tassie, the, the Western Arthur's solo. And, um, yeah, and, I, and it's what I just, um, it's like I want that popsicle again. <laughs> so, sorry, I just had to share it. <laughs> Uh, well, that was going to be one of my questions anyway. I was talking all about your experience on the Pyrenees Mountains and what an amazing experience. I mean, are you going to write a book about it? <laughs> that could be your next book. Yeah, well, I came home. I actually just finished writing the book just before I went to Europe. And I came home. <clears throat> no, I was running. I was running in the Pyrenees and I was like, oh, my God no, 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 this is the end of the book. This, this is the end of the book. And um, 
And so I started, I got home and I was beavering away trying to rewrite the book and it just kept blowing out in length and blowing out in length and blowing out in length. And then I was like, oh, this is really frustrating. I can't get the ending of the book. And then it was one day I was out jogging in the morning and I was like, oh, Durhan, this isn't the ending of the book. This is the start of the next one. Wow. <laughs> so I hadn't started writing that yet. It's, it's just, um, I know that it'll, it'll call me when it needs to call me. It's not going anywhere. It's still in your memory. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> and I'm sure that's not the last, um, you know, amazing experience that you have either. So, yeah, I hope, you know, I hope not. I, we live a motto um, of living a life that will make us jealous when we're grey and old. <laughs> not yeah. about what anyone else thinks, but I just want to lie back in my rocking chair when I'm greyer and old and be like, yeah. So you're about to enter the next most amazing experience of your life, which is going to be entering motherhood. What do you think you are looking forward to the most about this next journey? Yeah. Oh, oh so much. I mean, I'm, I'm, I have no expectations. I think I've learned that <laughs> the hard way is, is to, um, it's like, you know, when you've got a really nice holiday coming up and you think you've got it totally down packed and organized and you know exactly what it's going to be like. And then the big typhoon rolls in and, you know, shit hits the fan and you come home disappointed. I don't want to do that. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to shifting gears. I feel really ready to play in, an, in another way and explore other, um, other sides to that word. Um, I love the word play. Clearly I use it a lot. Um, and I guess, you know, like for example, I go to a beach and I just find I'm always walking along the beach. Just I, I go for a walk because that's what you do when you go to the beach and then you have a swim and maybe lay on the sand and then, you know, go home. Whereas with a, with a little one, will I walk? Or will we build sandcastles or will we get in the water first or will we go to the rock pools? Like I'm looking forward to just letting that curiosity evolve. Um, and I'm really looking forward to being humbled by the way they see the world, um, the childish, um, what do you call it, like innocence, I think. And I'm really, really looking forward to sharing play with others that I maybe haven't been able to have the same love language as for a while so for example my husband's parents are a little bit older um, have a slightly different values set to us we love them dearly but our version of play and their version of play don't match mm -hmm. so we drink tea and we'll, we'll enjoy meals with them but to be outside or playing with them hasn't been a part of our world yet. And so I'm really looking forward to the inclusivity of, of motherhood, I think, um, and, and the sharing nature of it, because so much of what I have done and we have done in some ways has been of a selfish pursuit, and I'm very aware of that. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's what I'm looking forward to about it. And kids have this way of bringing families closer together you know especially little babies <laughs> I'm sure the grandparents are all looking forward to that are they all close by um yes actually yes my my, my father lives on an island Bruni Island now um I don't see him very often by nature of him living on an island <laughs> my mum I'm very close to I spend a lot of time with and she's very playful and then my 
my um, husband's father sadly passed just before or just after our wedding, but um, his mum and sister live not far away. Cute little town of snug, good old Tassie. Um, yeah, so really joyful. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be a really special time. Is there anything that you're maybe scared about or just hesitant about in terms of entering motherhood? Mm. Um, it's funny, you know, you get sent all the information to read and stuff and I start reading about breastfeeding and stuff. Like, it doesn't worry me, but it suddenly triggers these really strong emotions in me. Um, like I almost want to cry and I don't know why. Um, so I think that there's a whole lot that um, I'm unprepared for because I'm, how do you really prepare? Um, I think that probably one of the biggest challenges I feel like I've been facing has been um, putting too many barriers up around myself um, trying to be normal uh, you know when it first when I first found out I was pregnant I was suddenly like oh my god you know what do I do what do I do and I'd read blogs and everyone was like don't run it'll damage your pelvic floor and you know can't sleep on your back and like all of these I was like oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god and it put lots of barriers up around myself and I think what the journey now has been has been about breaking down those barriers and going what feels right for me and and what's where's the honey in all of this and I think I'm not worried about it but I'm very aware that going through this journey I want to make sure that I um I keep listening to me and my intuition and trying to stay true to our relationship um and probably the only thing that I'm very also aware of is to ensure that my husband, whilst we're in it together, that I still allow him enough space to play because it is, especially in the early days, the role of the mother is, is huge. And I don't want to clip his wings because I can't physically go and do what we've always done. You know, mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I yeah. mean, it is, a, it is a big shift in life like it really is a big shift in life having someone that depends solely on you you know mm. is that something that you're I guess you're looking forward to that of course but is that something that you're not sure how to grapple with that this little human being is going to be solely relying on you for yeah. everything? <laughs> because um, I guess our lives as young people before we have children is that it is sort of you know selfish I guess we don't have to think about anybody else but how do you think that experience is going to be for you how do you oh, think I, look I'm sure I'm naive and there'll be many mums out there who might giggle at my innocence and I and I'm so pleased to um because I'll probably giggle at it too when I listen back mm -hmm. on some stage but um I'm not worried about that and I think if anything I feel very ready for it mm -hmm. um we undenied a lot about kids. I think I was always more on the side of the fence of yes and my husband was a bit more on the side of fence of no and we put it off for a while and then we, even when we sort of finally reached a point of, okay, well, let's just see, we, you know, we just stopped being careful but if it didn't happen naturally, we weren't going to push it. That was, that was our approach to the journey and... Um, as it happens, it happens instantly. <laughs> uh, neither of us had any time to get our heads around any of it. Um, but I think why I 
got to the side of the yes or the yes side of the fence was that um, I felt really like I was almost craving not not happening to drive myself so hard, not happening to find, not find things, yeah, find things, I guess, that gave me that sense of euphoria all the time in life. Like <laughs> there's a joy in that, there's a freedom in that, but sometimes it's almost a cage because you you get almost too big for your pen and you don't know how to entertain yourself. It, it sounds stupid. It was like, but I'd done so many things. Like it was like, well, we could travel, but I've already traveled to 39 countries. And I mean, I love travel, but it's not going to fill the void of not loving someone or, you know, like we could embark on a business. We've already embarked on a business. And whilst there's so many more ideas we have, like, it's still not filling my love tank. And I think, you know, and then got setting goals or racing or, you know, like I, I just was struggling to think of things that for the next 60 odd years of my life might fill that love void that a child, if it wasn't there, you know, wouldn't fill. And um, so, yeah, in some ways that innocence is what's carrying me through in my answer and saying, no, I'm, I'm really ready for it. I'm actually ready to just sit and play in the rock pools and mm. and just revel in that and not need to run along the beach all the time. <laughs> want to, but not all the time. Yeah. yeah. And I think it'll be a really beautiful journey, honey. Like everybody's different too. And that's something we have to remember as mothers, what's good for us in our little family unit is different for somebody else. Like not everybody has the same approach. Not everybody does it the same. Everybody does it in their own way and there's no wrong or right. Um, you know, what, what you feel comfortable with raising your family is your best, you know, mm -hmm. and um, it's exciting. It's a really exciting time. I, I think back to having my first baby, gosh, now I'm going to sound old. I'm, um, he's 19 now. Um, I'm 44 in January. I can't believe I'm saying that. But um, it feels like yesterday mm. that I found out I was pregnant with my first baby. And it's just such a beautiful experience. So yeah. embrace every single minute. Thank you. And I'm really looking forward to watching your <laughs> journey and, and meeting your little baby. Hopefully we can open all the borders and we can, <laughs> you know, get together. I and, and would when are you due? Um, 5th of April. Yeah. Oh. So Easter baby. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Yeah. Um, I wanted to just quickly touch on before we finish up what you talked about how if we define ourselves as one particular thing, it can be dangerous, I guess, in a way when things change or things fall away. <laughs> Like in terms of like um, what's happened in our world with coronavirus and you touched on it briefly yourself with your own business, like what lessons has coronavirus or COVID taught you this in these last 12 months about the way you approach your life and, mm. and what could you even like impart to others about how they can actually navigate challenges and change um, that come out of the blue like that? Um, it, it just really highlighted to me, again, it comes back to the importance of making sure that you are as 
truthful, open and honest with yourself as you can be to know thyself, whether you do that through journaling or art or being outdoors or working with someone like I did or a combination of all of them like I did or, but, but really spending that time. And even if it means saying no to things so that you can then say yes to things with strength, I think going through COVID with a stronger sense of self, um, I think made it more achievable. And then to make sure that you are always doing what you love and what calls you, because when the going gets tough, you will rely on that love to help pull you through. Mm. Um, and that is the way we have our relationships, the people we surround ourselves with, the pursuits that we have. Um, for us, it was, you know, in business, we love what we do. I mean, we don't see it as a business. I call it a business because that's its technically truthful name, but mm. it's a pursuit. It's a calling. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that we know we need to be doing at the moment. Um, yeah. And it did pull us through. And I think it, it brings a real authenticity too to what you do and who you are. And that mm -hmm. draws people to you. And we noticed we didn't realise how strong our community was until we needed them. And then they were there in full force and still are. Um, and it, then, then that lifts you. And then that <laughs> helps the days to become weeks, to become months and you suddenly realise you've come out the other side to some degree. And yes, it was hard and yes, there were tears, but we're intact and we're stronger for it, I think. Um, I think even somehow my relationship with Graham, because I run the business with my husband, um, is even stronger for it. So I'm really grateful. And I think it's like making sure that we don't define ourselves by what we do and what we achieve, but just who we are. Um, mm -hmm and the actions that we take on a day-to-day -day basis. So, you know, um, our sense of success isn't about on numbers on a spreadsheet because sometimes those numbers are going to horrify you. And, you know, in the thick of COVID, we were bankrupt. And I didn't want to go home at night because I was, I didn't want to fall anymore in love with the place that we bought a year, a year earlier because I thought it would get taken away from us. And But, um, but I realised that success was just for me like being okay being uncomfortable in that time the little actions of still getting up in the morning still going for my run even though i felt like i should be at my desk and i should be grinding on the numbers or doing some more marketing or thanking people what you know just still carving that time out for self for mm. me and i i think that it just really brought home to me that importance of grow play perform wilder and I think that the very final thing that COVID really, really taught me was all the things that I had become distracted by. Yeah. <laughs> that, that even when you have a strong sense of stuff, you will still pick up litter along the way and you will still be, suddenly find yourself saying yes to more things than you say no to, that maybe you should say no or maybe too and I just realized how busy I'd got for the sake of being busy and so now that COVID has calmed down a little bit for us um it's about not just filling up that time again with things that you think you should be doing but like last week spending a week in Tassie just exploring locally and camping in the tent and 
sometimes you feel very, I don't know, like not egotistical, but you know, self-centered taking that space for yourself. But it's what's allowed us, I think, to kind of enter parenthood so comfortably was because we realized that we had been somewhat distracted and that love is what really drives us both. And there's no greater love than, you know, to a child and to, to each other. So, yeah. So I think that that's what COVID has taught me. Mm, that's beautiful. It's oh, so true. Like thinking about my own experience, like with COVID, like at first, I panicked, like I really panicked as you would too, thinking, oh my gosh, like everything I know is, is, is it going to be taken away? Like, you know, there won't be any races. What if there's no like stores, like there's no brands, there's no membership, there's no, are people going to be able to gather? Like I rely on people being able to connect and gather and for our community to have that, I don't know. And then, and then, I sat with it for a few weeks and then I thought, hang on, it doesn't have to be um, this knee-jerk reaction. Let's, I just had to sit in, I, I guess, go back to my core values and my purpose of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And it was because, one, I loved it. <laughs> I love to run and I love women and I love empowering them and I love connecting them and I love everything about sharing um, my experience and the, their experiences with the wider community and we could still have that connection. So that was okay then. And it, and it felt like if not even any money came in, it didn't matter because we were still, I was still working under the values that I like, as you said, it's similar and, you know, RMA, I guess is a business, but it's a calling for me, yeah. same thing. And I think out of all the years I've done it, this has been my favorite year even with the challenges because I've actually found why I do it yeah. really honed into it what I love about it and and started and and gone out of my comfort zone in a way like I started this podcast I really think COVID wouldn't if it didn't happen I wouldn't have had time yeah. to start the podcast because I was saying yeah. yes to too many other things you know so it actually allowed me to have that space to create what I was meant to create I don't know yeah yeah, yeah. I totally hear and I feel exactly the same I just I love that I love everyone I talk to who has thrived through COVID I think lent into the discomfort and just used it as this opportunity just to earth a little I think that we'll all still have our tussles with this world as it is at the moment and like that is exactly what I think we're meant to do because it allows the growth to continue but what I see from afar Nicole of your work is that you seem to clearly love and be motivated by love for what you do mm. and as long as that is there tickling your toes um keep doing it because it's it's so empowering and I'm if I remember when I found out I was pregnant it was within the first week I suddenly went oh my god like I can join Running Moms Australia. Like I had that thought. It was like, I want to be a part of that. And that's, it draws you in because of your authenticity at the core of it. Um, because that fil filters out the values to your community that will then pull you all together. And so like, yeah, so I'm now going to be able to be a Running Moms Australia member. <laughs> you could have been anyway, but we would have uh, like, open up. <laughs> true heart of it all. <laughs> yeah, I know. I always um, 
finish the podcast up with, um, actually, no, before I start this, because I didn't give you these and there's just five quick questions. But before I start this, I wanted to ask my last question, which was, there's two folds to this, two parts to this question. What is your core purpose now? And who are you now that you have found out who you are? Um, I'm, I'm Hanny. <laughs> um, and my core purpose, I think, is to be, it sounds so corny, but I just totally believe this to my core, is to be authentically me. Um, because when I am, I know, I know I am doing my best work. Um, I know I'm having the most real connections and I notice that it gives me a strength in what I can communicate to others. And I, you know, if I put it in a practical sense, it is to help others to play wilder, to find those other sides of themselves that they want to bring into the light. And yeah, so I think that it is what, drives me so then that it means that it's very open for me at the moment and I know that when I you know I'll probably lean out from the work a little through the early phases of motherhood and as I begin to lean back in I don't know how I will express that mm. but I really do believe that um that that time is it, you know will create a lot of opportunities for me yeah and it's a journey I'm looking forward to sharing in thank you so before we stop, I just wanted to do our RMA hot lap with you, which is five questions that I ask our guests. They're quick questions um, before we finish. Um, the first question is, one thing that you can't go without on a long adventure? <laughs> well, we haven't given you well, you had asked me the, if you had asked me this, <laughs> Before I fell pregnant, it was my insulated teapot. I'm like a teaaholic. I love hot drinks. Pregnancy has turned me off all hot drinks and it has not come back. So yes, it would be that. It would also be a pair of running shoes. I just, you know, the freedom of like getting somewhere that just toes tingling, curiosity calling and just pull your shoes on and go. Yeah. Love it. That's interesting that tea's killing me if it'll come back i was thinking when you said that you love tea just then i thought oh i'm gonna send henny some tea and then you said you have it's not coming back i was like maybe i won't send Henny tea <laughs> hopefully it'll come back i love tea too um what is your favorite race snack or adventure fuel we'll call it adventure fuel for you um look i feel very simple when I'm out there, it's jelly beans and glucose tabs. Um, but before I ever headed out on adventures, it would be like a handful of dried fruit or more, maybe two handfuls, and a mug of like soy milky tea. It was just like every time return with an apple. Pregnancy, no tea, no dried fruit, no apples, and none of them have come back yet. So I'm like really struggling with the adventure mode at the moment. That's so funny. So what would, well, this isn't even one of the questions. We might have to do six questions. What's something that you're now eating that you weren't and enjoying that you weren't having before falling pregnant? Um, well, I was having, but not in the same quantities. I'm growing a white fluffy baby. <laughs> I'm actually sure that I'll give, give birth to a loaf of bread. <laughs> He's good. Yeah. <laughs> 
They are loving the bread right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Mine was yeah. um, eggs. I don't know why, but I couldn't get enough eggs. Yeah. Yeah. I've gone through a few weird phases, but yeah, yeah. bread stuck with me. So. Oh, we all like bread. What yeah. about, um, this is, well, this question is, you're going to have to answer three different places, but one of our RMAs wanted to know your top three places to run in Tassie. Mm, okay. One of, um, sorry, Cradle Mountain region, not Cradle Mountain itself, but the region, unforgettable, got to do it. Um, top missions I've ever done, South Coast track, probably don't do it, it's a bit silly. Same with Western Arthurs, probably don't do it, a bit silly. Mm-hmm. Um, most beautiful run, Walls of Jerusalem, without a doubt, gorgeous for everyone, 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 got to do it. Mm. Okay, one word to describe your journey so far. Oh, one word. Mm. It doesn't describe it. I think it comes back to curiosity. It's what's motivated me. It's what still motivates me. <laughs> um, yeah. If I could have two, that'd be gratitude. I just fills my heart every day. I think about those loved ones that have passed every day with so much gratitude and what they've given me the gifts. So yeah, curiosity and gratitude. Okay, I'll let you have two. <laughs> <laughs> one word. Now you're going to have to think of one to describe the journey ahead. Oh, playful. Yeah. 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 Fitting, fitting. (laughs) So where can we find out more and where can girls follow on to learn more about you, find your feet, your own journey, your trail trips, um, wilder trails, all the different things that you're part of. Where can we find all these things? If you just come to honeyalston.com.au, I would absolutely love people to keep in touch. Um, yeah, honeyalston.com.au, or then you send you off to all my pursuits. But yeah, thanks. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on today, Honey. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah, I've, I've had an absolute ball, and I'm so grateful that you do it so beautifully, Nicole. Keep doing it. Please keep in touch, Nicole. I feel a very strong kinship. Oh, same. And I'm really excited to watch your journey. So please, anything you need to know. Yeah. Motherhood. I'm your girl. (laughs) I hope you loved today's episode with Honey Alston. What an amazing woman. And what a beautiful way of looking at life. I love Hannah's honesty and I'm really looking forward to following her journey. Thanks to Find Your Feet, Hannah's business, you can head to their website, findyourfeet.com.au and they are offering 20% off to all listeners of the RMA podcast for the month of December with the code LISTENWILDER. This includes Hannah's new book, Finding My Feet and excludes sale items but it's available for all items at findyourfeet.com.au don't forget our member benefit program is now open for the 2021 season you can head to our website runningmumsaustralia.com.au to join up for next year's membership 
Thank you for joining us for another episode. I hope you're safe and well and I'll look forward to speaking to you next time.